Good morning, everyone. Welcome, welcome, those of you that are here in the sanctuary and those that are joining us online. So grateful you're here on this freezing cold morning. Uh, I almost missed coming up because I was in the bathroom running hot water to try to get my hands warm enough to feel them. So, but welcome. Glad that you are here. How many of you are cold today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything, would you say, Frank, anything under 72 is freezing or something like that? 74, I'm sorry. Yes. So, it's bad. Um, Would you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2? 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you don't have your Bibles with you, they actually will be projecting the words up on the monitors for you. Again, I want to welcome all of you here today. I'm so grateful that you're here. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. We don't often do this, but I thought it would be good for us to do it today. I'm going to ask that you would stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. So would you stand with me? I know you've been standing during worship and you're tired out. Just, just a couple of more verses, okay? Just follow along with me. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. The last couple of weeks, we have looked at, uh, really, two different spirits that every one of us battle with in our lives. The first week, we looked at the whole arena of deliverance or of salvation, and we looked specifically at the spirit of affliction and the recognition that there is in all of us, at times, the temptation to tolerate the status quo. It's, just, it's always been this way, it's just the way it is. Or this runs in my family, it's how it's going to be for me. My father died when he was young, my mom died, my grandfather, so I'll die. when we, 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 Without even thinking about it, out of our mouth can come words accommodating the work of what is called the spirit of affliction. And the affliction isn't just on a physical level. It might be sickness, it might be asthma runs in your family or something like that. It might be physical. But it's not only physical, because it can also accommodate us in the areas of our work, or in our relationships, or in our finances. Things that come against us that we have just learned to accept as our norm that we can't do anything about. The devil is so wily, so canny in his ability to get us to almost agree with him, instead of agreeing with God 
and His Word. But that was the first week. And then last week, we looked at another spirit, the spirit of confusion, as we looked at this whole arena of sanctification. Yes, we need to be on guard against the devil's advances against our lives. But sometimes, what we're dealing with isn't so much the devil. In fact, sometimes we can be like Flip Wilson. Some of you guys won't even know who that is, but some of you guys who are a little bit older can remember Flip Wilson. And one of his famous phrases was, the devil made me do it. And for some of us, that's what we do in life. We blame the devil for things that aren't the devil at all. They're us. (coughs) You go out in the morning to start your car to go to work, and all of a sudden you realize your car won't start, and when you check it, you realize it's out of gas. I want to suggest to you that's probably not the devil. That's probably just the fact that you forgot to fill up last night. You drive too close to empty. Or that write-up at work from your boss might not have anything to do with the devil. It might have to do with the fact that you've been arriving late every day. Or you're not giving your all during work. And so we have to learn to discern between that which is demonic or the devil, that which comes against us, which is very real. As surely as there is a God and there are angels, there is a devil and there are demons. We can't see them. They are spirits. They're not people, by the way. They are spirit beings. As surely as there is that, there is also the other side of the equation, which is our flesh. And we need God to help us through the process of growth and change in that which we call sanctification, where He causes us to become more mature, to grow up, and to become more like Him. (coughs) Excuse me. This morning, I want us to look at another spirit that's found in the verses we've just read. But before I get there, I want to remind you of just a few things from our text. So if you look back at 2 Timothy chapter 2, I want to remind you just of a couple of things. The first is it's clear from the context of these verses that we read that Paul is not talking about a literal building. He's not talking about a literal temple, which is the word that he uses, or Great house is another translation. He's not talking about a great house with actual gold or silver or wooden and clay vessels. He's talking about the great house being the church of God. And the vessels he's talking about are you and I. People who have come to know God, who walk in relationship with Him, that want to be used for His holy purposes. And in order to be a vessel of honor, because remember, in the Scripture it talks about vessels unto dishonor, and to honor. In order to be a vessel unto honor, we have to follow that second part of the inscription that is placed upon the temple. It says, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The amazing thing about this whole arena is that though we can want it, we still need God's help. You can't get saved on your own. You need the presence of God. You can try to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but if you've walked any length of time at all, you'll find out the best laid plans of man often go awry. I mean, how many of you have set a goal at the beginning of the year that you're going to lose some weight and you're going to start working out? And how long did that last you? Most of us, not very long. We fall back into our old routines. We have to be available for His help in our lives. In fact, the word that's used in in verse 21, cleanses, 
is a passive word. It, it's almost as if, uh, and the only example I can think of is this, so this isn't the best example, but it was mine. It's like, I, I have here in my hand some Dove soap. Dove soap is the best kind of soap. It's the only kind of soap we use. Okay, So I've got Dove soap. And I say to God, God, I want to be clean. And God says, the soap is still in the box. you got to let it out. So when it talks about you have to cleanse yourself, you can't cleanse yourself. But you have to agree with the process. So God says, open the box. So I open the box and I take out the bar of soap and I've got a bar of soap now. God says, great. you still got to use it. Put a little water on that soap. And then God takes His hand on my hand and He begins to apply the soap to my life. And that's the tense of the verb that is used there in verse 25, I think it is. Where God says, you have to cleanse yourself. It's not that you can do it all yourself, but you have to agree with the process that God uses in your life. God's going to put people in your life. God's going to put circumstances in your life in order to help you to grow up to become the man or the woman that God intended for you to be. But what I want you to catch, and I want you to notice in verse 19, we're the ones who have to exercise the choice to depart from iniquity. In verse 21, we're the ones who choose to enter into the cleansing process. And in verse 22, we're the ones who have to make the choice to flee youthful lust, which we'll look at more in just a moment. But I want you to get this. So many Christians are like, we're like little baby birds with our mouths open, hoping God will just do it all. Well, we need God. We need the help of God. But we have to participate in this process ourselves. We have choices to make. It's His work. But He won't force you to embrace His work. You have to choose to do that yourself. Now, In verse 25, look at verse 25 with me a moment. Uh, In verse 25, in the translation that I read, it says this, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Now, some of you have a different translation, and it might say something like this, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Now, those sound quite different if you listen. One is opposition, The other one is opposing themselves. And my question is, is Paul talking about those people who stand in active resistance and opposition to the word that Paul and Timothy are preaching, or is he talking about people who have, um, for lack of a better way to say it, have become their own worst enemies? Who oppose the truth because they can't seem to embrace it for themselves. They can't seem to appropriate it and make it work for themselves. Have you ever talked to somebody about some lesson that God has taught you? And they said, yeah, I've tried it. It doesn't work for me. That's possibly what God is saying here. I believe that both are probably true. That There are people who actively oppose the truth, who just don't care. and say, I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to go my own way. I want to do what I want to do. And we've probably all met people like that. Maybe we've even been like that in our lives. But there are also, and I think this is probably the emphasis of this section of Scripture, those people who, though they want to do well, want to do right, want to grow up and change, find that things just don't seem to work easily for them. They try it for a while, and then it fails, and they quit, and they get all discouraged, and they try it again, and it doesn't fail. 
all of that kind of stuff goes on. So these are people who actually oppose themselves, not just oppose the truth. They seem to regularly sabotage their own lives. Have you ever met anybody like that? Who it seems like they continually do things that just blow up their own lives? They like drama? Well, that's, I think, the heart of what Paul is getting at here. They become their own enemy in that they're not able to apprehend and appropriate the truth for themselves. And we find in in verse 19 to 21 a call to cleansing. The goal of the cleansing is that we might be useful vessels in the Master's hands. Fit for the Master's use, it says. And then in verse 22, Paul begins to show us how that works. We've already looked at all of this. This was all kind of a reminder. But in verse 22, Paul takes us to a new place. The way in which we actually begin to see cleansing happen in our lives is in verse 22. He says, flee youthful lusts. And probably, if we were to actually read it the way the Greek reads it, which is what the language is of the New Testament, we would read it, continually flee youthful lusts. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and says, in the same way that you continually run away from, flee youthful lusts, you continually pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And what I want you to see out of this one verse is two things. Number one, the first thing I want you to see is that this appeal, this calling out to the Lord, according to Paul, comes out of a pure heart. It's possible that the way in which you look at yourself is like me. You sometimes don't even feel like you can trust yourself. You can't trust your own heart. You think that's what you want, but I do enough stuff that makes me wonder even about myself sometimes. But what Paul is saying is that appeal for God to come and cleanse you comes out of a pure heart. He wants you to know that though the vessel needs to be cleaned, he believes that your heart is pure. He knows that your heart is pure because he actually put those desires in you. We know the verse in the Old Testament, he will give you the desires of your heart. But what we forget is that when he's saying that, he means those desires that are good things, he's the one who actually places it in your heart. You wouldn't even have a desire to be cleansed if God didn't put it in there. So what he's saying to us is, there is that thing within us that that God has put in us that actually is pure. The scripture says the Lord, man looks on the outward, but the Lord looks upon the inward or the heart. God knows your heart and he knows that it's pure. The old timers had it right when they said Jesus did such a work for us through his blood that God only looks at us through the blood of Jesus. Now it's not that God is colorblind and he can't see anything other than the color red. It's not that God is stupid and senile. God is all-knowing. So He knows what goes on in our lives. He's, He's bigger than Santa Claus. But even in knowing that, He knows what He's placed in our heart. That it is pure and that it's holy. So the first thing I want you to see is that God initiated this whole thing for you to be cleansed. He's the one who places it in your heart that you would grow up and become more and more like Him. The second thing I want you to see is in verse 22. 
that there comes into our lives at various times, but especially in our youthful years. There comes into our lives points of contamination. Things that can mark us, that can even scar us. Things that we did when we were younger that actually begin to resound within our spirits and constantly that's how we measure ourselves. That's just who I am. That's just how I am. And Paul says those things are contamination and we're to flee them. I know it's true. It's frightening, but it's true that there are people who just choose not to make themselves available for the work of God. The Scripture says the flesh wars against the Spirit. But for most of us in the room today, we want to be clean. We want to be made more like Jesus. We want to be in the image of God. But there are things that arise against us. Some of it's spirits that rise against us, that battle against us, that constantly speak lies into our lives. And Paul says it this way at the last verse we read. He says that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And he he gives us a picture of a snare or a trap that a hunter might use to trap an animal, to catch an animal. And he says, for some of us, we've been caught in the trap of the enemy and we find ourselves doing his will even though we don't want to through points of contamination. So how do we get free? Paul says it this way, verse 24, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. Part of my job, part of the job of every pastor, every preacher, is to put the truth in front of people so much that there will come a point in time when the revelation of the truth will overshadow the lies of the enemy. When you will accumulate so much truth that the truth begins to dawn on you. That the things that you've heard over and over again, one day, it's like a light will go on in your head and you realize, wait a minute, that is truth. That's bigger than what I have believed about myself that I can, in fact, change by the help of God. Paul is really referring to two things here. Number one, the accrual of truth. I don't know about you, but sometimes you just have to soak for long enough in the truth before you actually get it. It's like sometimes you can let the dirt in a plant, on a, maybe you have a potted plant on your deck, and you forgot to water it for a long while, and the dirt gets so hard, and you want to bring the plant back. But when you pour water in, it's almost like the dirt repels the water. You have to let it soak in. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He's letting it soak in. In fact, the word that is used in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, is for the word of God is living and active. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision of soul and spirit, so that we know that which is against us, that which is spirit, but that which is soul, which is flesh things that rise up within us, of joints and marrow, and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the first thing Paul says is there has to come an accrual of truth. It has to add up in our lives until we begin to embrace the truth. But the second thing he refers to is a power encounter. There's a time in every one of our lives when we have to meet the living God. I've said to you before, uh, I went to church when I was little because my parents made me go. And that's a good thing. 
I mean, we have our kids go to school. I think we ought to have them go to church. But there came a point in my life when all of that stuff I had to deal with for myself. And I began to search out whether this thing about God was even real or not. And there came a point in time when I can remember I had what I'm going to call here today a power encounter with God. When suddenly I realized God was in the room and everything I've been hearing was true. That God was real. And that He was present. And I could feel myself inside almost beginning to quake, to begin to vibrate inside because suddenly I realized God is here. The God of the universe is here. He's more real than the electricity and the sockets on the walls. And suddenly, I came to grips with God. And I found that He entered my life because I invited Him. It's not that I sought Him out. He sought me out. Made Himself real to me. But I had to invite Him in in the same way that I had to invite Him to cleanse my life. This morning... I believe we're speaking to people who want to be free, who don't want to stay in the trap of the enemy, who don't want to stay the same, who want to be fit for the master's use. But Paul uses the term, he says, flee youthful lusts. That term lusts in its root form has to do with control. Control. Is there a sexual component to it? Yes, there is. But it is primarily an issue of control. In fact, the reason why I think sexual sins are so dangerous for us is because they exercise a level of control. We talk about people who are stuck in an addiction to pornography or who are stuck in an adulterous affair. There's movies made out about it. And so Paul uses a term that has a sexual component, but his emphasis is upon the issue of the control that it exercises over a life. Which is why we say to parents all the time, you need to guard your kids' screen time to know what they're looking at because there's so much stuff that is out there. Even that started out innocently, but it is so dangerous for our children. There are apps that are out there on the phone and you say, well, my kids, I'm watching. You're not watching every second. No parent can. Which is why we have to be careful for our children's sake. Because those things that come into their eye gates, into their minds, enters into their hearts, and it can leave them stuck in bondage that you never would have intended. And so Paul uses that same term, that high level of control that's exercised. And he says, you need to flee those points of control that have been exercising power over your life. We've looked at the spirit of affliction, We've looked at the spirit of confusion. This morning, I want to talk to you about the spirit of condemnation. Where we're left with this sense of shame, whether because of things that we have done or things that have been done to us, where we feel like we are a vessel unto dishonor. It's where there's this thing in us that rages, where we want to do right, but it just doesn't seem to work well. We're like Paul. In Romans chapter 7 where he says, that which I want to do, I don't do. And that which I don't want to do, I end up doing. And that leaves us with this residue of shame or dishonor. We end up in condemnation. You can hear all the right things. You can hear me talk about God's great forgiveness for your sins. And you can say, yes, that's true. But that doesn't change how your heart feels sometimes. 
And we need not only an accrual of truth, we need an encounter with God that overshadows the lies that the enemy has spoken into our lives. You can't seem to get free from this cloud that you feel hangs over your life where you feel like no matter what I do, it doesn't go right. And I am shamed. I am dishonored by my own behavior, by my own attitudes, by my own actions. And we're not talking here, by the way, about a conviction for wrongdoing. When we do wrong, God, by His Spirit, comes and convicts us. Uh, I was amazed recently. Uh, my grandson, Caleb, uh, he had done something, I can't remember, I think it was um, chasing his sister. And so they were chasing one another, and I think she fell and got hurt and came crying to Mama. And, and so Mama says to Caleb, were you chasing Gabby? And his immediate words out of his mouth were, no. But before anything else could be said, he stopped and he said, yes, I was. And Jennifer said, thank you for telling the truth, Caleb. And Caleb said this, Mama, for the first time, I felt the Holy Spirit in my heart. And that's true for us. You have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. And though the temptation there to agree with the enemy and to continue to do what you've always done, the truth is, because you have the Spirit of God in you, God's intent is that you be a vessel unto honor, not dishonor. So we're not talking about conviction, where God, by His Spirit, comes and convicts us when we do wrong. I'm talking about this sense of shame. It's not even about what you do or did. It's just like I have this thing that hangs over me where I just never feel like I'm good enough. I'm not enough for anything. The enemy can seem to get you depressed and discouraged and disheartened at any point just by reminding you of who you really are. You know, other people might see you a certain way. Other people might say, I see the gift of God, the anointing of God. I see the character of God, the image of God in you. But the enemy comes and he reminds you of stuff that you've done or maybe even things that you've lived under. Maybe it's not things that you specifically did, but maybe you grew up in an atmosphere where stuff was spoken over your life. I've talked to you about my life. Uh, I am one of uh, 13 children in my family. Uh, I am the oldest son in my family. My older brother, Mikey, died. And my dad would regularly say, or at least convey, you're not the son I wanted. The son I wanted died. And he would say to me things regularly like, uh, you can't seem to ever do anything right. What's wrong with you? When are you going to get a brain in your head? He would say things that were demeaning and derogatory. I'm sure he necessarily didn't mean it that way, but that's what happens in the soul of a young kid as they're growing up, hearing again and again those kinds of things. So it might not even be things that you did. It might be things that were done to you that leave you feeling like you're a creature of shame. I was thinking this week about the different things that can happen in our lives that can mark us, that scar us. And I want to just give a few, just really to give you an opportunity to think about possibility that maybe in those moments of time in your life, things happened in your soul that marked you. Dif different places, different times where it's possible the enemy has gained a foothold in your life. So these are just a few that I thought of. Number one, parental neglect and abuse. I don't know of anything that marks us more 
then the people who God intended to be our greatest protectors and cheerleaders actually do the opposite. Uh, I grew up not knowing anything but physical physical discipline, I'll call it, where you would hand dad the half inch instead of the three quarter inch wrench. And there wasn't any instruction like, no, no, look at that, that's half inch. I said I wanted three quarter. Look in there until you find the one that says three quarter. None of that. It would be a backhand across the head and then, what are you, stupid? Get me the right wrench. Can't you read? So for many of us, we grew up, I'm not talking about the fact that no parent is perfect. I mean, can we just be honest for a second? None of us do this well. We do our best. There's no manual that teaches us how to do it. We do our best and hopefully we grow as we do it. But I'm talking about actual abuse or neglect where things were not given to us that we needed. The second thing that I, I saw or thought about this week was immorality. Things like pornography or even youthful experimentation that can mark us. Things that we have done in that arena that leave us with this sense of shame. That there's something hidden, secretive. Why is it that you think most people are hiding their screens? They want privacy because this leads us to a feeling of shamefulness. There's several other points. I, I don't have time to go into them. I wish I did. But things that are times of transition in our lives, points of impact where the enemy can gain a foothold, like puberty. Many young people feel ashamed of their bodies during this time. And they don't know what to do about it. And that marks them. It makes them feel a certain way that then resides within their heart. And so for the rest of their lives, they always feel that way. Or pregnancy. I've known women that feel like they're beached whales is the term they will use. And they will begin to be ashamed of themselves during that time. Instead of the wonder of having a life growing within you. Accidents can mark you and change your perspective of yourself. Broken promises. You know, Dad said, if you do this, I will make sure you get this. And then it just never happens. And you feel like your life has been a life of betrayal. Shattered dreams. Things you thought were going to happen. Things you thought were for sure in your life that just somehow didn't happen. Death. I was talking with someone just last Sunday who was dealing with a young lady. And uh, she felt as if... Uh, when her mom died, her mom abandoned her. And so she's lived all of her life feeling like her mom was weak and was not a good mom, even though her mom fought the cancer for all she was worth. Death can mark us. Divorce. I know people say, ah, you know, people get married, people get divorced all the time. It's no big deal. Well, it is a big deal. Those can be points where the enemy can come in and leave a mark upon our soul. Betrayals. All of these are things where, uh, the way I look at it is the enemy puts a hook in a life and begins to yank on it. Why is it that you notice that the cults have found that they can read the obituaries and find an access point into people's lives at the time of death? Because they know that those things are marking times. And if they can get you during that time, they have you for the rest of your life. So, what I've done very briefly this morning is talk to you about the sense of condemnation that can come in when things happen in our lives that mark us. Paul gives us three things that we can do here real quickly 
that can help us to actually become more free. And I'm going to only touch on these because I intend us to finish it out next week. Okay? Next week is going to finish the series on tolerating the enemy in our lives. So the three things I want to give you, he says, call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So the three things. Number one, we've already looked at it very briefly. Grow in truth. And my question to you this morning is, are you spending more time on your screen looking at Facebook or are you spending more time on your screen looking at the Word of God? First thing you get up in the morning, what's your first thing you do with your phone? And I'm not telling you, I'm asking you to think about, are you spending more time growing in the truth of God's Word or are you spending more time doing other things, watching TV? Listening to Rush on the radio or whoever it is nowadays, I don't know. Where do you spend your time? Are you growing in truth? Psalm 119, 130 says, the entrance of your word gives light. Even when you feel like nothing is actually happening, as you sit here today, truth comes into your soul and it can make a difference. A lot of times people come into church because they're in trouble. They've got a problem and so they come to church. And they're hoping that one service will fix 30 years of bad decisions. No, it takes an accrual. It takes time growing in that. It takes time for the soil of our hearts to be softened by the rain of His Word, that the seed can become implanted. Number two, I call it maturing or growing in God. It is um, just spending time in God's presence, in worship, so soaks your soul that some things just fall off of you. I'm not talking about just growing older because a lot of times people grow older, but they don't get any better. We have a phrase that are used in our society called dirty old men. Well, the implication is very simple. You can grow older, but not grow more mature. And you're still stuck with things in your lives. And my question to you is, are you spending time with God? Not just spending time reading His Word. Are you spending time in God's presence? Letting worship soak you, even as we did this morning. Letting it just wash through your soul. And finally, number three, what I call the ministry of love. I believe there is nothing that is more important for us to be set free in our soul is for people to actually love us like God loves us. To actually believe in us. To believe that God can do something significant in us. Now, as I said, we're going to look at that more next week, but I wanted to just give you this, this uh, encapsulation of the understanding that shame is not God's intent. Condemnation is not God's intent. His intent is that every one of us would be a vessel unto honor. And he says the way that happens is we cleanse ourselves. But as I showed you with the soap, it's us taking the initial step, but knowing we can't do it on our own. We need the help of God. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes just for a moment? Father, we recognize that in order for us to be changed, to see your glory, to be changed from glory to glory, where our lives often seem so gory, that we need your presence. We need your word. We need your presence. And we need one another to encourage, to build up, to edify. 
We need truth to come into our inward parts. And most of all, we need your presence to overshadow our lives. So I'm asking you, Father, today that this would become for us a change point in our lives, a new season, that we would not be marked by COVID-19, we would be marked by your presence. That this would be a time that where things are so different around us that we would look back on 2020 as not being a horrid year, time of desperate need to get back to normalcy, but that we would find your presence changes us in 2020 would be a pivotal point in our lives. And Father, we commit ourselves to agreeing with your process of change in our lives. We embrace it, we desire it, we long for it, knowing that you put that longing in our hearts. And if you put it in our hearts, it's because you have an intent to actually accomplish it. So Lord, we agree with you, with your word, and all that you want to do in us. In the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask if you would be seated again, and the ushers are going to come in and dismiss you by rows in a way that the health department has determined is safe for us. If you would like to give an offering, there is actually boxes on the back wall for those of you who are faithful in your giving, and you can just put it there, okay? Ushers, you are released to dismiss the kids and the folks.